This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated Three Food Memories. I am your host, Savas Savas. For 25 years, my catering company, Plated, has contributed food experiences to some of Australia's premier events and intimate gatherings. During this time, I've observed the relationships people have with food and devoured thousands of conversations around it. I believe that every memory can be pinned to a food experience and every food experience can trigger a memory. Food memories shape who we are and remind us where we have come from. One of my early food memories is eating a banana paddle pop on the miniature train at Bronte Beach in Sydney. Join me as we move the fork around my guest three food memories to reveal what their memories tell us about them and motivates them to make our world a better place. Each guest will share a social cause close to their heart at the end of the episode. Politicians. While it may seem that all they do is create taxes and write laws to restrict us, it is easy to forget that politicians can be human too. Joining me today is an Australian Federal Member of Parliament, Tanya Publisek. And I might add, there's not a media advisor in sight, not even six. Tanya is the Shadow Minister for Education, Shadow Minister for Women and the Federal Member for Sydney. Since entering politics in 1998, Tanya has been Deputy Leader of the Opposition and Deputy Leader of the Federal Parliamentary Labor Party. Tanya was also the Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs and International Development. During the Gillard and Rudd governments, Tanya was Minister for Health, Minister for Medical Research, Minister for Housing, Minister for Human Services, Minister for Social Inclusion and Minister for the Status of Women. I'm exhausted just thinking how she made these portfolios happen on top of her portfolios of daughter, sister, wife and mother of three. I sound just, I'm exhausted just listening to it. (laughs) What I warm to most about Tanya is her propensity to smile even when she's poised to rip the face of a deserving political opponent. (laughs) Tanya, thank you for sharing the microphones with me today. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be with you, Sava. Tanya, you jumped when I asked you to be part of this podcast. Why is food so important to you? Um, Well, I love eating, but I guess I grew up in a family, like a lot of first-generation Australians, food is a big part of our family life and my parents' culture. My parents came from Slovenia, which was part of the former Yugoslavia. They came in the early 1950s as refugees after the Second World War. And I really, as a child, whenever we went to visit Slovenian friends, if ever we went to um, to Yugoslavia, to Slovenia to see family, there was always food involved. Um, so the daughter of migrants, and you grew up the Sutherland Shire. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, my brothers and I were born in Australia, and we 
grew up in the house that my parents built at Carvers Road, Oyster Bay, nice old weatherboard house that my mum and dad did a lot of the physical labour on. They, again, like a lot of people of their generation, they bought things as they could. They moved into the house before it had floorboards. You know, they, they saved up for the floorboards. My dad would bring home one saucepan or one knife each week when he got his pay packet. And they had a huge garden out the back. They grew a lot of their own fruit and vegetables. We had uh, chickens in the backyard. We always had fresh eggs. Yeah, it was a lovely childhood, actually. So growing up in the Sutherland Shire, one of our future guests is going to be Cathy Lett. (laughs) I know Cathy very well, actually. She's fantastic. How much of the stories in Puberty Blues can you relate to? It's like a documentary. Uh, I grew up. And like I said, in Oyster Bay, which is about a 10-minute drive from the beach, but we were kind of Westies. If you lived at Cronulla, Oyster Bay was kind of Western suburbs. But, yeah, that surf culture was very much part of my teenage years and the sort of sexism that Cathy Lett describes was something that I saw firsthand growing up. So being the child of ethnic parents, was that a factor in the community? Oh, for sure. I mean, look... I remember when my mum would walk me to school when I was little, as we got closer to the school, I'd say to her, speak English now, mum, because I was quite embarrassed about being different. And my year one teacher's husband was Slovenian and he came to the classroom one day. I could speak it perfectly. He spoke to me in Slovenian. Can you still speak Slovenian? Oh, I'm not as good as I used to be. (laughs) I've forgotten a bit, but yeah, I speak it pretty well. But he came to the classroom and he spoke to me in Slovenian and I was, I was, ashamed. I was humiliated because, you know, kids don't like sticking out. They don't like standing out from the group. It took me until I was, you know, I suppose later primary school or high school to start to think, actually, this is so cool. I've got this whole second culture to, to draw on. The friends who visited my home loved coming to my house because my parents were incredibly warm and welcoming they love being fed by my parents because the food was great. And, it I mean, look, I, I just think this is a feature of growing up, isn't it, that you, you start to think, hang on a minute, there's a bunch of really good stuff about what's different about me. Now let's move on to the food memories. Your first one, please. Well, the house that we grew up in had a really big backyard, for a suburban backyard, and I, I remember what it was like. My dad started work really early in the mornings. He'd get home uh, at about sort of four o'clock in the afternoon and we'd be sitting out on the back steps in the backyard, sitting on warm concrete, and my parents would just be getting fruit off the fruit trees in the backyard. There was a beautiful fig tree and a white peach tree and or strawberries in summer, sitting there eating fruit warm from the garden in summer with my parents just kind of calmly talking about their day. It just felt so safe and like there's there's nothing like fruit fresh from a tree or tomatoes fresh from the garden and just being able to wander around and pick things off the tree. It's just such a fantastic experience. And my earliest memories were that sitting there with my parents in the backyard eating the fruit or helping my mum in the kitchen. My mum is an amazing cook, but she used to make apple strudel at least once a week by hand. She'd make the... What was your mum's name? 
Rose, Rose. Rose, yeah. And how would she say strudel? What was it? Strudel. Stru- can you really- strudel. <laughs> <laughs> or in, in fact, in Slovenian, it's like you'd normally say strukli or zavitik, but anyway, strudel is the kind of Austrian name for a, a dish that's pretty common throughout the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so we'll stick with strudel. And she'd, she'd make the pastry, she'd grate the apples by hand and... Before she grated them, she'd peel the skin off in one long snake and it was my, you know, job as a kid to be sitting there in the kitchen watching her trying to eat the snake of the apple skin and I'd, got to, I'd get to drink the juice after she'd grated the apples before she used it in the, in the strudel. And I, I could watch her cook for hours. I still love actually being with her when she's cooking, although she tells me not to talk to her sometimes because that's too distracting. What would she say to you while she was cooking and she was peeling the apple? Would she would she talk about stories of Slovenia? Yeah, look, she she's a really gifted with young children, my mum. So she'd just be always talking and counting and, you know, teaching, but in a sort of engaging, lovely, storytelling sort of a way. Would Rose take these strudels to friends' places when you visited or family as a... Yeah. How did she present them? Were they on foil trays or...? Well, so we never went anywhere without taking something with us and my husband's, who's from an Anglo background, cannot understand why (laughs) I still have to, he says, oh, we're taking a bottle of wine. It's like, no, sorry, you don't understand. We're going to drink the wine. That's not what you, you like. You have to take something baked or some flowers or something from the garden when you go and visit. Um, so that's a bit of a cultural difference between us. But mum would take, she'd take strudel or she'd take biscuits or she'd take a cake. And that's true when our friends visit us, our family friends would would very rarely turn up without you know, a week's worth of baked goods as well. She's Mum's still got a friend, Angela, uh, Greek Angela, we call her, because she's Greek, who brings the biggest tray of baklava when mm. she comes and homemade taramasalata. And she's got another friend who's Angela, who's Polish Angela, who brings biscuits. So And Polish yeah, Angela is Polish. Polish. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we have to say which one's which. But... When mum says, uh, Angela came today, I've got baklava waiting for you. It's great. So good. And so now with your own children, are you creating food traditions and baking with them? Are you building on that sort of stuff? Yeah. My my kids all love cooking. I've got a, a, a daughter and a son and a youngest son. My daughter's really likes making cakes and things so that's her specialty and she's got a boyfriend who's got lots of allergies so she's learning to do all these complicated gluten-free vegan she makes a really good gluten-free vegan banoffee pie for example which I can tell you is quite a process and then the boys are both more into savouries so my 11 year old made mayonnaise on the weekend for example from scratch yeah well we I mean it's not that complicated but we had some egg yolks left over and he was making himself a a BLT, I said, why don't you make some homemade mayonnaise to go with it? So he loves to make mayonnaise. You're teaching your children basic skills of cookery as well and you're encouraging them. Uh, All the time. I I, I really, I love doing it because it gives them a sense of confidence and mastery 
but they also realise how easy it is to cook something healthy rather than go out for something that's bad for them. And it's so easy now, like it's so easy to get McDonald's delivered to your house. Like you don't even have to go to the drive-thru to get McDonald's. Teaching kids that it's easy to cook something really delicious is good for, it's good for their budget. It's good for their confidence. It's really good for their health long-term too. And so circling back to the food allergies, what does Rose make of these food allergies? <laughs> what does she think of them? Oh, well, nothing. She, she's just she's completely accepting of our kids, their friends, my friends growing up. She knows if Anna's boyfriend's going to her house, she goes through what she's planning to make with me beforehand. She says, can I make this? Oh, no, I can't really. Can I make this? Oh, yeah, you can make that. So we just go through the list beforehand. So food preparation is actually part of the discussion. It's part of every day. Every time. And I say, I'm coming to see you on Sunday, Mum. She says, what time will you be coming? And depending on what time I'm coming, she says, oh, okay, well, I'll make, you know, whatever's the appropriate meal for that time of the day. Although um, I I have to say when I've travelled in Slovenia with my mum, it gets quite overwhelming sometimes. I don't know if you've had this experience, but you go from relative to relative and everywhere you go, there's this enormous feast. And if you're travelling for a few weeks, it can it can just be like too much food. So we went to visit one relative, we said like nine in the morning. It's a bit late for their breakfast because they're up early milking the cows. Uh, it's a bit late for their breakfast and it's too early for lunch, 9am. We'll go and see them at 9am after they've you know, done their jobs for the morning. We got there at 9 a.m. There was three-course lunch waiting for us. And what was... (laughs) Because they couldn't stand the idea that we would go without being fed properly. And do you remember what was served, what was prepared? Yeah, yeah, Homemade soup, so really nice sort of consomme, made from chicken or beef, doesn't really matter, but with homemade noodles, like thin egg noodles. Almost every Slovenian meal starts with soup. And what are they called? Do Um, you know? Moodli. I suppose, I, I can't remember. But yuha is soup. And then, oh, I can't remember, like schnitzel or a roast with salad and potatoes. And this is at and, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then, a, and then probably strudel for <laughs> dessert or something like that. Coffee, tea. Homemade bread, lots of oh, places. Wow. Lots of people make their own salamis and prosciutto, like prosciutto. Lots of people do their own bottling and pickling, so pickled mushrooms, lots of bottled fruit, lots of homemade jam, homemade yogurt. So that's really lovely if you get you get someone who's made a bit of yogurt overnight. They have fresh yogurt and fruit from the forest is a really lovely breakfast in Slovenia. Tanya, has anyone in Parliament had the luxury of tasting rose or your strudel? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't make strudel, by the way. I should confess that. My mother's is so good. Her strudel and her putitsa, which is the other, putitsa and prekmurska gibanitsa are the sort of three main Slovenian dessert kind of arrangements. I don't really make any of them because my mum's is so good that I just know it's going to be disappointing. Like I've never made Christmas pudding either because my mother's is perfect. You can't improve on perfection. Do you have those recipes? Yeah, I do. Absolutely, I do. But I have I have taken uh, my mum's cooking down to Canberra with me sometimes. But my 
adult friends still go and visit my mum now. And a couple of times when I've had, you know, work functions, even we used to do Christmas barbecues for my Labor Party branch members and my dad would be on the barbecue and my mum would have biscuits that she'd made like crostoli or or strudel or, you know, some sweet arrangement. So I'd say oh, a couple of hundred people for a barbecue, is that okay? Yeah, no worries. And, and what did they think of your career in politics? Mum and Dad. My parents were so grateful to be living in Australia. They had very difficult childhoods and they had a very hard time as children during the war and they just felt it was so amazing to live in this country that was peaceful, safe, where they could just work hard, raise a family. They were fantastic neighbours. They were really very regular churchgoers, always looked after the people around them. So... All they ever really wanted was for their kids to grow up sort of honest and hardworking and do the right thing. So they weren't kind of pushy in the sense that they wanted us to earn a lot of money or have a particular type of job. I think they were, I mean, they're certainly proud of my brothers and I just because we were decent people and worked hard and were able to support ourselves. Like they were pretty basic expectations. They were proud of me. They were happy for me because it was something I wanted to do, not because it was something they they wanted me to do. And I think the strongest message that both of them gave me as a positive about my work was my mum would always say, oh, look, I ran into Ted the butcher at Como the other day and he said that you'd been in and he said you haven't changed a bit since you're elected to parliament. And that that to her was the highest compliment. That's a reflection of her too, isn't it? What sort of parents they were. Yeah, yeah. They're not not interested in sort of status. They taught us that it was important to treat everybody equally, treat everybody with respect, that no one was better than anybody else. And I think that's actually a really great lesson. So Tanya, your first and second food memory sort of combine a little then. The first being making strudel with your mother and the second one about picking the fruit trees in the backyard, the warm concrete. Let's talk more about that one. What was the relationship like between your parents and you? What was your father like? They were beautiful parents. They're just fantastic. Sadly, I lost my, my dad about 10 years ago. He died of prostate cancer. And But I've still got mum and she'll be 90 soon. But look, it, it was just a really lovely childhood. They were, they were quite strict parents. Like they didn't let us get away with anything, but very loving. Like We never doubted that we were loved. What did they talk about? I mean, my dad worked at least six days a week. What did he seven do? Days. He's a plumber. So he worked most of my um, childhood he worked for Qantas. He worked for Qantas for more than 20 years on the jet base at Mascot. Uh, and mum, mum's last job uh, before she had my oldest brother, Ray, was working in a shoe factory. She'd worked uh, in a domestic housekeeping role before that. She'd worked in a kindergarten as a kindergarten assistant back in Slovenia. But they, I suppose one of the things that was lovely to observe as a child was though they had in in an outside an outsider looking in might think that's quite a traditional relationship he goes off to work she stays home and uh, looks after the family but they had an incredibly equal relationship like they wouldn't make big decisions without talking it through with each other 
my dad would bring home his pay packet and he'd just hand it over to my mum. He'd, he'd actually, we only had one car, my mum didn't drive. So he'd stop at the fruit shop on the way home and stock up on all the heavy stuff so she wouldn't have to get the potatoes and the pumpkins and stuff during the week. And he'd buy a little packet of wafer biscuits, one for each of the kids, and that was our sort of treat for the week. And then, you know, once he'd done the fruit and vegetable shopping, he'd take out a bit of petrol money and he'd hand the rest of the pay packet over to my mum. And it was her job to look after the family, feed the family, feed the kids, pay the mortgage. And she would go to our nearest shopping centre in Janelli, catch the bus, um, do the shopping for the week, and then put every other cent into the mortgage. We'd actually walk home with the shopping because we wouldn't spend the 40 cents on the bus fare so that they could pay their house off as as quickly as they could. I think growing up in very uncertain circumstances meant that that sort of security was super important to them. Uh, And so they were... They're a very equal relationship, a very loving relationship. I think that's so beautiful for kids to see that their parents like each other. You know, when we'd walk to church on a Sunday morning, mum and dad would be walking up ahead holding hands and we'd be kind of trailing along behind. (laughs) So even after, you know, however many years of marriage. In fact, when my dad, because he was the leading hand, the plumber, on the jet base, if something went wrong, for example, with the kitchens in the catering section on the weekends, he'd get called in to fix it up. And mum would just go in for the ride and she'd take a book or a magazine and she'd just sit in the car and wait for him to come out just so he had company on the ride in and the ride home. Not as a sort of sacrifice, but because she enjoyed his company. Yeah, I just feel super lucky that I was able to see that example of a relationship growing up. Tanya, did your parents arrive in Australia together? No, they met here. They actually, um, my parents, they came from two tiny little country, like not even villages, they're uh, Vasi in Slovenia. Like, they're a collection of a few farmhouses and they're about, I don't know, 15 or 20 k's apart in Slovenia, but they'd never met there. They met here. My dad was working on the Snowy Mountains hydroelectric project and he came to... Sydney, I think every six weeks or something, they had a few days off. There was a Slovenian dance at the Paddington Town Hall and my my dad arrived on his three-day long weekend and he spotted my mum across the crowded room and the rest is history. Wow. What was that? When did they meet? I think they met in about 1955. I would have to double check. So circling back to the vegetable garden, what was in the garden? Do you remember? Yeah. So we always had herbs because you're an idiot in my parents view if If you you bought them if you paid money for (laughs) parsley you are an idiot (laughs) if you paid money for a bay leaf when you can grow a bay tree you're an idiot um so we always had a really wide selection of herbs we always had lettuce so different types of lettuce we always had tomatoes beautiful big ox heart tomatoes such good tomatoes. Where did he get the seeds for the, or mum or dad get the seeds for these tomatoes? Because I know in my family getting the seeds, it's like I got these seeds from Blah's house and their tomatoes yeah, are. Yeah, the friends right. trading, yeah. And, like and then, Pokemon cards. Yeah, and, and if you had a good crop, you would keep the seeds for next year. So if you had a particularly nice batch come out, you'd select the good seeds for next year. 
basil, beans. We always had lots of beans, different times, sweet potatoes, pumpkin, always pumpkins actually, things like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't enough to feed a family, but it was enough to always be able to go out and pick something from the garden and cook for that night. I don't think my mother has bought lettuce in her life because it's just why would you buy lettuce when you can grow rocket or or um, the coral lettuces or uh, radicchio or, you know. And who was the main gardener in the family? Oh, both of them. Both of them yeah, shared. Both of them. Was it a big block? Pretty big block and decent-sized vegetable garden and then a separate section that had oranges, mandarins, peach, fig, with grape vines, obviously. They've always had grape vines. Did they? Did your dad make wine with no, that? No, 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 just to eat, grape vines to eat. They've, they've had friends who've made wine or slivelka, which is <laughs> a little bit more dangerous. You don't really want to do that in the house in case anything blows up. And we've got friends who make uh, salami or, or dried prosciutto, which is the Slovenian equivalent of prosciutto. It's almost identical. And do you keep those gardening traditions up at home now with your family? Well, I do have a herb garden because my mother's voice is in my head. You're an idiot if you pay money for parsley. I've got I've got a really nice herb garden. I've got a bay tree, lemon tree, kaffir lime, pretty much you know all the herbs that I use. I, I don't I don't really buy herbs unless my crops a bit you know low. Like if I'm making pesto, I might not have enough basil for pesto, but I've always got enough basil to put on the tomato toast for breakfast. No chickens. I do have bees, though. And producing honey. Not yet. They're, they're a new addition to the garden. Uh, my brother is the apiarist in our family, so he's coming over teaching me how to look after some bees. Oh, wonderful. And do the children, do the children enjoy gardening as well? Yeah. They do. From when they were really little, you know, even when they are in childcare and the kids were helping the childcare educators, early childhood educators cook, my kids would be the ones going, yes, why don't you put some basil with that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they love it. They love being able to go out and if I say to them, can you go and get some thyme and some oregano for this dish, they they just go out and get it. It's it's just second nature to them. So you seem to do a fair bit of cooking even with your busy schedule. There's always time to cook. Yeah. I'm not great during the week is the truth. I, I make quick things during the week, but I really like spending a bit more time on the weekend and doing something a bit more time-consuming. So what would you make during the week that's a quick meal that just solves the problem? Pasta with pesto, super quick. I, I make the uh, baked beans that I start off I do the day before and then they're very quick to reheat during the week but probably you know baked beans with where you soak the beans and cook them for four hours with bacon and and what about any of the the Slovenian dishes that mum would make like the the simple soups yeah absolutely just soup and salad sometimes we would have my my mother probably never put a meal on the table without lettuce from the garden and a simple dressing made of really nice olive oil, cider vinegar, tiny bit of salt. We would have had that pretty much every meal of my whole childhood with whatever else we were eating. And I would do that almost every night as well. Wonderful. Because it takes two seconds and it's so good for you and it's delicious. Your final memory, Tanya, this is one of my favourites. 
Well, we were really lucky uh, that my dad worked for Qantas because it meant that we could go to Slovenia every few years and see our family over there because we didn't really have any extended family in Australia. And around the 1st of May every year, every little village has a party, a Vesilica. And it's so fantastic because everybody gets together, they'll be singing and dancing, all the local musicians will be playing together, they're singing all sorts of traditional songs. Polka is probably the most popular dance at these things. So there's a lot of people, you know, being thrown around the dance floor and the food is amazing. So there'd usually be a big wood-fired oven and people would be making bread, prekmurska gibanitsa, which is this incredible layered cake with flaky pastry and layers of apple, ricotta, poppy seed, walnut, and big long tables, homemade wine, homemade salami, homemade bread, homemade cheese, plates of tomato, the parties like that could go on, if it was a wedding or something, it could go on for two or three days. And all everyone would get in together, everyone would cook together and just the joy in one another's company. And as a kid, like the adults are all having a great time together, which was it was actually quite unusual for me to see my parents relax. So always working. I never sat down and relaxed. But here they'd be relaxed, drinking, chatting, laughing, eating, and us kids would be sort of running around quite wild but perfectly safe. They're beautiful memories. Your parents going back to Slovenia, were they, of course they were happy to go back and see their friends and their family, but what was the feeling like when they came home? Were they just, were they happy that Australia was their home? Yeah, they, they loved going to see family members, but it was always a bit of a relief to get back to Australia as well. And I think that's for lots of reasons. I mean, when we were first going back, it was kind of old Yugoslavia, which is kind of a difficult place to live, to be honest. And so they felt really relieved that Australia was their home. And then family dynamics are always a bit complicated, aren't they? So Mm. everybody's so happy to see you at the beginning and then they start kind of complaining about each other and this brother doesn't like this brother or this sister-in-law is fighting with this sister-in-law. And I think it's a fantastic thing to go and to have a relationship and to be close and to be familiar with my parents' culture and history. Have you been back with your parents, with your children? Oh, yeah. My my kids have been there with me and with my mum and with my husband and I together. And my, my husband loves going there as well. So that's a bonus. I'm interested in this um, May Day celebrations. They actually celebrate, they're celebrated across the world, aren't they? And they commemorate the labourer the labourer and the working class. You say in your website, which I actually brought tears to my eyes, and now that you, you share your memories with us, I, I know where it comes from. You say in your website that you want every Australian to have, have access to, quote, great education and healthcare where you can get a job and afford to live a good life. Do you think your experiences of the old country were formed in your politics and and your beliefs in social justice? Yeah, I think so, for sure, because I think having a, a second culture that you can kind of look into in quite an intimate way is really, it really helps you have perspective on what's good and bad about the culture that you live in. So Yugoslavia was a pretty 
difficult place to live. As I said, you know, you'd kind of buy a car and eight years later it'd be delivered or you'd, you'd order a phone and three years later you'd get it. But I never saw a homeless person there. So I think that those sorts of the ability to ask yourself the question, if they can manage it, why can't we manage that? That's, that's really great. And I guess the other thing is just seeing the way people work together and helped each other, especially on the farm. Like if you, living in a farming community like that, when it was your turn, everybody come and help you harvest your wheat. It was your job to give them a really good lunch at the end of the day. And then in two weeks' time, when they were harvesting their potatoes, you'd go and help and they'd give you a really good lunch at the end of the day. Like that kind of mutual exchange of labour, um, the the help and support that people gave each other was really important to their survival and that's good to see. So a good life. Yeah, and I think... Good life for everybody. a hard life, but a good life for a lot of them. Thank you for sharing those memories, Tanya. The social impact organisation close to your heart comes as no surprise to me after speaking with you today, the Bill Cruz Foundation. Can you tell us who Bill Cruz is and what his foundation does. Bill Cruz is a great Australian who's dedicated his life to helping people who are struggling, struggling with homelessness, struggling with drug addiction, even children who are struggling to read. And the church he runs is just a beacon of hope and acceptance. Thank you so much for this visit into your family larder. My last question, do you think there will ever be a Prime Minister of Australia, the annual Daniel Plebisek MP, (laughs) asking for a friend. (laughs) Thank you, Tanya. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Plated Three Food Memories. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it, online or in person. You can also subscribe, rate it and write a review. Bye for now.